I think about in my own life that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds me. I think of my grandfather, Pauly, who taught me from the very beginning that it's okay to search and to ask questions and to not necessarily to agree with the line that's given. I think of the very first youth pastor I had, Charlie Gilbert, and my very first pastor, Daryl Paris, and a New Testament professor I had at Milligan College, Ed Nelson, and I think of Jerry Dugan, who was our choir director in Madison, but a man of amazing discernment who was so helpful to me. And I think of Ann Rogers, this uh, elderly woman who walked in such wisdom and understanding. And I think of that great cloud of witnesses, not just those people who I knew personally, but those folks whose words I have read over the years, Dr. King and Tony Campolo and Brian McLaren and Anne Lamott. They are a great cloud of witnesses that surround me as I pursue the race. And in the history of Second Baptist Church, there is a mighty and wonderful cloud of witnesses. I hesitate to start naming names because it would never end. The names in our history and the names that aren't so long ago that have helped us and guided us along the way. And I know that if you were up here to share personal testimony, each of you could talk about the cloud of witnesses in your life, those people who are behind you, who encourage you, whose lives you look at to say, wow, that's the direction I need to go. Hmm. Great cloud of witnesses. But what about when your cloud of witnesses is understood not only to be a cloud of witnesses, but to also have flaws and major flaws? I think of the list that our writer made in, the, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. Probably the name that's mentioned the most is Abraham. It says, by faith Abraham, by faith Abraham, by faith Abraham, all these things. And Abraham is seen as a pivotal figure, a founder of three of the major religions in the world. And yet when you read the story of Abraham... Here's what you discover. Abraham did a lot of things by faith. But he also did some oh, terrible things as well. You know, when Abraham was told that he would have a child in his old age and his wife Sarah could not conceive, Sarah suggested to Abraham that he have sex with her handmaiden, her slave. And so Abraham did. Now, by any modern definition, that's rape. And the baby that was born to that slave, Hagar, was hated by Sarah, and Sarah encouraged Abraham to send them away. And so in an amazing moment in the book of Genesis, Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away. And then there's a story in the, in the account of Abraham where Abraham and Sarah are going into a town and Abraham is afraid that if the leaders of the town, the male leaders of the town, 
think that he's married to Sarah, they may kill him so they can take advantage of Sarah. And so he says to Sarah, tell them I'm your brother. In other words, protect me, Sarah. Let them take advantage of you. By faith, Abraham. In the list that the writer lists, there is Jacob. Jacob is the one who deceived his old father. That's breaking a commandment. And stole his brother's birthright. And then there's Moses, who's mentioned time and time again in the list, who killed a man when he was 40 years old and ran away for his life. And then there was Rahab. Rahab the prostitute, and I'm not making any judgments, but not the, not the line of work that most of us would want our children to enter into. And her great act of faith, breaking a commandment. Thou shalt not lie. And that's exactly what she did to protect the people of Israel. In the list is David. You know the story of David? A man after God's own heart. Except, of course, when he saw a woman bathing across the way and called to her and had sex with her and she was married. And so he had her husband put to death before he could find out. By faith, David. What this list tells me is that among the great acts of faith by these people is that these people are also feeble, frail, and apt to fall. And may I suggest that all of us can find ourselves in positions when we are feeble, frail, and apt to fall. And so, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, but it becomes important to us that they not be the focus of our attention. We look to them, we appreciate who they are and what they've done, but we also recognize they're flawed. There is another focus to our attention. It is great to have a cloud of witnesses. I'm so thankful for it in my own life. But in the end, the focus needs to always be on Jesus himself. Which is why in the passage from Hebrews 12 it says, let us throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and do what? Fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. The image is a race image. The image is an image where you're, you're running a sprint, and down at the end of the sprint, the 100 yards or whatever, there is a finish line. And as you're running the race, it is important for you to keep your eyes on the finish line, on the tape at the end. That's how you get... If you're spending your time looking around, up, down, or backwards, you're never going to win. But you keep your eyes focused on the finish line. And the finish line, according to the writer of Hebrews is Jesus himself. And so it becomes our responsibility, our duty, as followers of Jesus to respect that great cloud of witnesses, but to fix our eyes on Jesus. And what that means to me is that if Jesus taught us to love unconditionally, if Jesus taught us to love our enemies, if Jesus taught us to love our neighbors as ourselves and everybody's our neighbor, then that's what we do. If fixing our eyes upon Jesus is 
the context in which we live, we see that Jesus lived with compassion and concern for those around him. And so that's what we practice. If fixing our eyes upon Jesus is our goal, we see the life of Jesus and the kindness he expressed as he encountered people day by day, and so we practice kindness. We practice acceptance. We don't ever look at anybody, regardless of where they come from, or what color their skin is, or who they love, and say they don't belong. That's not the way it works. Jesus accepts those who come. If we are going to fix our eyes upon Jesus, we need to remember that at the very forefront of what Jesus did was forgiving. And we are called to forgive one another, to forgive those who have hurt us, to forgive those who might hurt us in the future. That doesn't mean to stand idly by and let people beat us up, but it means we forgive. We let go. We move on. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I am so confused. I just, I just don't get us sometimes. I really don't get how so many of us, so many people who claim the name of Christian, seem to be so mean and hateful and exclusionary and bigoted. It just makes no sense if we are fixing our eyes on Jesus, on his teachings, on his life, on his way. Amen.